Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined as ever by Ben from Who Scored and Jonathan Wilson, who is about to head to Qatar to cover the World Cup. But before he does, he's joining us to preview this strange, strange competition. Jonathan, are you excited? Um, Yeah, a, a little bit. It's, it's, it's weird though, isn't it? It's not the it's not the usual excitement for for a World Cup. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't, did you see the Uruguay squad announcement? No. Uh, I mean, I have to say, I'm not not a huge fan of squad announcements. I, I think just stick the names on the list and pin them on the door. But um, the, the the coach Diego Alonso that he had had him with a map, and he'd point at I don't know what you call them a, a district of Uruguay, whatever the county, whatever they are, and then. It would cut to a clip of somebody in in that area, and and that maybe it'd be a woman hanging up a, a shirt on the line with with a name on the back, say Godine or whatever, or like it'd be a couple of kids kicking a can about, oh, okay. and they turn around on their backs. You have Cavani and Suarez, or you know whatever. And that I sort of you know it was it's like two two and a half minute clip, and it's really sort of it's it's actually quite moving. You sort of feel kind of yourself getting quite emotional watching it. And then you think, but that that sort of joy, that sense of representing your country and your area, has all sort of been been sapped away by all the nonsense around this tournament. And that's yeah, quite apart from all the stuff with with workers' rights and gay rights and women's rights and um, yeah, treatment of migrant workers. Quite apart from all of that, the football's actually been been diminished by this tournament uh and that, that that i think is is what's really sad it's it's not just the out and out abuses it's the the, the tarnishing of the sort of the, the 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 soul that should lie at the heart of the world cup you know when Jules Rimet created the world cup his idea was it was this thing to kind of bring nations together and, and obviously that's been pretty strained at various points over the last 92 years but yeah, that 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 has sort of underlain everything, and and that seems to have gone by the wayside for this tournament. So that that's that's the tragedy of it. Apart, quite apart from everything else, every day there's just you read something that's really not on, or that's really weird as well. As well, Ben, I was looking looking at something yesterday, and actually I didn't even read this. It, it was a video. There's like fake fans being sent out there. Like people dressing up. I saw sort of a video of people dressed up as Germany fans. I don't know how true this is. Of people dressed up as Germany fans, like walking around having a really good time. And it's like every, every day, I see some see something weird to do with this World Cup. And John, Jonathan's right. It has it has taken away from it. But I got a little bit excited yesterday when I was watching the England departure show on on England YouTube, and the players the players were coming out and talking because the England players did seem genuinely excited. To, to be fair, but just having a World Cup in November and December, I don't think it'll ever catch on. Yeah, I mean the the sort of joy of the World Cup in the summer is that the season finishes, like the Champions League final's done, and then you think, well, you've got a sort of a two week break to kind of build up to the World Cup, two three week break, and here it's just been well, the leagues have finished on Sunday, um, Portuguese Liga B when finished on Monday, and then you basically got less than a week until the World Cup starts. So you don't really have that kind of lull and the excitement period. It's kind of just like, well, it's just another week of football coming up, which has you know sort of taken away some of the like hubbub surrounding the World Cup. Yeah, if, if my life was on the line, I, I don't actually know what day the World Cup starts. Can someone enlighten me? Is it Friday? Sunday. Is it Saturday? Sunday. Sunday. Oh, I wouldn't, if my life was on the line, so, I've got that wrong. 
It was uh, a week less half an hour after kickoff in Fulham and Manchester United on Sunday. Mad. I mean, once it starts, you know, I'll watch every single game probably and I, I will be excited by it. And, you know, we're here today to, to preview the World Cup and, and look at England as, as well. But it, it's just not right. It doesn't feel right going into this, talking about a World Cup on the 16th of November. As I say, it's not something that's going to catch on. But we were set a task, Jonathan. We were set a task to pick the best 11 of players at the World Cup. But there was a catch. We could only have one player per nation. So actually, Ben, we'll come to you first because who scored did exactly the same thing using the famed algorithm. What's the who scored 11 and we'll see how it matches up with Jonathan's and mine. Yeah, so he did it. So it was the best rate 11. So rather than the best rate of players, because there was such a difference uh, in rating between the best rate goalkeeper and the second best rate goalkeeper compared to the best rate centre-back and the third best rate centre-back. So in goal, we have Switzerland's Jan Sommer. Uh, in defense, nearly in my turn, he was, nearly. Yeah, I mean, he is that penalty-saving expert, as we saw at the Euros when he stopped Mbappe from 18 yards, uh, from 12 yards even. Uh, in defence, we have Kieran Trippier of England, Joachim Anderson of Denmark, Kim Min Jai of South Korea and Jose Gaia of Spain. Uh, it's a very attack-minded lineup, I should add. So we have Kevin De Bruyne and Joshua Kimmich in midfield, uh, anchoring the midfield. There's a PSG trio of Messi, Neymar and Mbappe behind Robert Lewandowski. Okay, there's a few similarities in that team compared to my three, three or four are, are in my team. Jonathan, what what's your team? Yeah, I think I have four the same. So I've got Allison and goal. This is a four-three-three. Allison and goal. Trippier, Kulabali, Delict, Cancelo across the back. Um, Benton Kerr at the back of midfield, flanked by De Bruyne and Modric, and then Messi, Lewandowski, and Leroy Sane on the left. Though I have to say that left-sided role, uh, I found really hard to work out how to. Who to put there? Um, but Sane, I think, if Messi's drifting in field, which obviously he will, then having his directness and pace, I think, to go beyond Lewandowski will be very, very useful. So I considered Son for that, but I, th- you know, I think if it had been Son as he was towards the end of last season, you could make yeah. make the case for him, but hasn't been informed this season and you don't quite know how that fractured eye socket's going to affect him. And then, then the, 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 the thing I found strange was I couldn't fit a, couldn't fit a Spanish player in there. Um, no, and and I, I think Spain will probably have a very good World Cup. I think they 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 may be the the most convincing of European challenges, but I, I guess that's a testament to the fact that the, the, it is very much about the team and about the passing unit with them, rather than necessarily about great individuals. Yeah, they had a good Euros, didn't they? They got to the semis and t- took a few teams by surprise and, and took the general public by surprise as well. Am I right in thinking there was no France player in your team, Jonathan? Or have I got that wrong? Oh, that might be true. Uh, yeah, that is true. Yeah, no France player, so no France, yeah. no Spain. In your, yeah, in your eleven on pur- on purpose or just that just the way it happened because you could have had obviously you could have had Mbappe in your team. <laughs> I, I I just you know no defense policy for my for my team. Um, that that policy does not reign true in my, in my team, and obviously I'm managing it as well. So we've got a couple of dickheads knocking around my, knocking around my side. So in my team, I've still got I've got Manuel Neuer. In goal, still, I still think he's possibly up there as the best goalkeepers in the world. I love watching him when the international tournaments roll around. Got João Cancelo at right back, Marquinhos and Van Dijk at centre back, and then I've gone. This one felt like a little bit like a cheat. Alfonso Davis at left back from Canada, obviously players there for Bayern Munich. That felt like a sensible 
sensible player to, to get. And I struggled with the defence, actually. The def- I, didn't, I didn't, find the, didn't find the defence easy to pick at all. And then in midfield, Jonathan won't like this midfield because it's not very balanced. It's quite attacking. I've got Valverde, Bellingham and Kevin De Bruyne. And then my front three is Messi, Levin, Dusky and Mbappe. Well, Mbappe's not going to enjoy coming off the left. You know, he's, he's been very clear that he, you know, he wants to play as a, as a second striker alongside his big mate, Shiru. Um, but, you know, he, he, he'd rather do that than play as the, the out-and-out striker. Um, uh, yeah, the midfields. Yeah, you get in a battle, you'll lose because your midfield's not strong enough. Uh, I don't know why I went for De Ligt over Van Dijk. Actually, it didn't, didn't occur to me. Put Van Dijk in. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should have had Van Dijk rather than De Ligt. It's, I mean, we've all we've all got Messi and Lewandowski, haven't we? All three of us. Oh, you got to, haven't you? I feel like you've got to. Yeah. Especially Messi. Obviously, you know we'll, we'll, we'll probably come on to him later on in the show or, or later on in this series. But Messi at this World Cup, I think, leading into it. He's in imperious yeah. form, being very good for PSG. You've got to have Messi in your World Cup eleven. The team that Barcelona could have been. Could have been, yeah. That's very, very true. No one, no one's gone for Cristiano Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo didn't make your team either. Ben, he's not made Jonathan's or, or, or mine. We might hear about that in an interview tonight because that's on tonight, I, I, I believe. But yeah, Ben, what did you think of Jonathan's and mine team? Who, who would win in a matchup between those two teams if you can remember who we picked? Um, I'd say primarily because of that midfield. I'd say Jonathan just edges it. Yeah. Just edges, come um, on, it's two just, or three nil. Just edges it. <laughs> um, worth noting as well, when you sent your 11 across down, I thought you meant Ben Davies at left back and not yeah, we had Davies, a... so that was a bit of a mare on my part. <laughs> <laughs> if, I'd, if I'd have put Ben Davies in that team, I've got absolutely no right to ever be talking about football anywhere, ever, ever again. Right then, before we talk about England against Iran, who scored have a new game kicking off ahead of the match on Monday called World Cup Survivor with a prize pool in excess of £25,000 to be won. The rules are simple. You pick a team to win on each day of the group stages. If your pick wins, you're through to the next round. Fail to win and you lose one of two lives. The key is that you cannot pick the same team twice in the group stages, so you need to be smart with your selection. If you make it through to the knockout phase, then not only are you guaranteed a share of 50% of the prize pool, but your pick's reset and you can choose any team you want on each day. It's £10 to enter and the last fan standing is guaranteed the remaining 50% of the prize pot all to themselves. You must be from the UK and over 18 to play and can sign up by visiting games.whoscored.com. It's a bit of fun to play during the tournament, but as always, as we say on this show, gamble responsibly and when the fun stops, stop. I've signed up. I don't know whether I'd be eligible. To, would I be eligible to, to win? It feels a bit unfair if I sign up and in the unlikely event I win, Ben, that I get some get some money. But I'll take it all day. It says it's ten pounds to enter last fan standing and price pool in excess of twenty five thousand pound. And if you make it to the uh, knockout stages, you get a guaranteed share of fifty percent of the price pool. So, as you say, a bit of fun during the World Cup but to make sure that when the fun stops, stopped. Yeah, but I look forward to winning that. And Martin Lawrence coming around my house, one of those big checks presenting me with, that, with, with the money from who scored. It give, give me something to do as well, because as Jonathan knows, I like my fantasy football. No one seems interested in doing a, a World Cup fantasy football leg out of my mate. So maybe this can be my, my bit of fun during the World Cup. But let's do what we're here to do and talk about England against Iran. The group itself, Jonathan, I don't think this is true, but, but do England have the easiest group? No, I don't think so. Um, if you actually averaged out the, the world rankings, it was the hardest group. I don't think it's the hardest group either, but uh, I think it's a pretty difficult group. Um, your Wales, not only are a, a useful side, but they, they uh, yeah, for England, present a particular problem. Um, 
with it being a, a you know a local derby. I think Iran um, historically have have always been very hard to beat. Carlos Queiroz, a very defensive minded coach. I think that's a game that's a real hazard for England. Um, that the, there'll there'll be a there'll be a sense England should win it easily. And I think a bit like the Tunisia game, the last World Cup, it's it's likely to be very, very tense, very, very cagey, very tight. And any win in that game, I think, is a, is a, would be a good win. And it's entirely possible if England get frustrated, they could get picked off on the break. I think Iran are, are very good on the break. And Inter Amy have a, have a, you know, we've seen that Porto, uh, you know, a really good forward is in form. The USA maybe are, are not quite the team that they have been at points of the past, but they've yeah, they've got probably more decent young players playing at the highest level in Europe than, than ever before. And England have played them twice at World Cups before and had never beaten them. So, uh, yeah, England will be favoured for every game, but I, I think none of them are remotely easy. And, you know, if England go through that group with five points, well, great. The groups are for getting through, then they're not for smashing teams. Iran are in the, the, the top 20 in, in the world rankings at the moment. Wales, like you say... It is a local derby. Not enough local derbies in the in the World Cup. You don't get to say that term too much. And actually, USA as well. They'll pop to them. It's probably some form of weird derby. In my mind, I always think that that they like the USA like to create a little bit of a, a rivalry with England. So that in in some ways feels like a bit of a bit of a game changer as well. Ben, it's Jonathan mentioned. I mean, I love it when Jonathan says something that I was thinking that that first game against Iran. I think it will be a little bit like that Tunisia game as well. England struggled in that game, went one nil up, gave away, gave away a penalty. It took a late Harry Kane header to get through in the, in, in the last World Cup to get through that game and, and win two one. Because Carlos Quiroz likes to set up so defensively, Jonathan's right. It could be a, a similar game. People just expect you to, to walk up and roll over teams like a ram, but you won't do in a World Cup. No, as we saw it, um, at the Afcon last year um, when Quiroz was in charge of Egypt, that. Egypt aren't weren't walkovers at all. I mean, there was obviously a lot of hype surrounding Mohamed Salah ahead of that tournament. Um, would he be able to fire Egypt to a trophy? But their sort of progression to the final was built on remaining very compact, um, frustrating opponents, and doing everything in their power to stop teams from scoring, which got them so far. But they obviously fell at the final hurdle. But I mean, England aren't going to expect to turn up and walk over Iran and. You know, come with an early three points because if they do that, then um, complacency could set in. Iran could then, as Jonathan said, pick them off on the break, and it's going to be a very, very tough game for England. Just looking at the makeup of that group, we've got a, we've got a combined eleven. I think we're we're only including people from the top five leagues. Ben, is that correct? So it's the top five leagues and uh, top six leagues. Sorry, so we're including Liga B winning that. Okay, do you want to do you want to run through the eleven from from England's group? Yep, so here's an England heavy 11. You've got Jordan Pickford, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Ben White defence. White is partnered by Ben Davies at centre-back, which feels a bit kind of cheating. Uh, Kieran Trippier at left-back. Midfield of Madison, Rice, Bellingham and Foden. And up front, you've got Harry Kane and Tarimi. I'm sure about a few things in, in that team, Jonathan. The, the back four looked very lopsided, including not have, not having a centre-back that can play in a two at centre-back and having a right-back at left-back. Do you think that's a, a fair reflection of the group, that 11? OK, so may, maybe a better way of, of, of doing it is saying if, if you were just sort of picking a squad, say, who would you be considering inclusion? Um, so... Gareth Bale, you would absolutely be considering. I mean, obviously, all kinds of fitness issues, but he has been playing fairly regularly in MLS. Uh, but Bale on his day, definitely 
would be close to the England team. Um, certainly, yeah, three or four years ago, he would have been maybe not quite now. Teremi has been in great form. Uh, mobile centre forward, you could imagine him playing off Kane would be a very useful alternative to Kane were Kane to get injured. So, so Teremi would definitely be in consideration for 23. Um, ben Davis, I guess, maybe given England a, a, a lacking a left sided centre back. Yeah. Uh, he, he definitely comes into consideration. Um, any of the US players? I mean, Pulisic, I know he's had a lot of injuries, but seems not quite to have kicked on. And I've always had a sense with him. He's a bit of a bit of a straight line runner. Uh, you know, very physical, but no real sort of imagination about him. Uh, Aronson's had a decent start of the season. So, but you know, that's a position where England are, are, are pretty strong. It's 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 difficult to see many many others. But that's not to say that that England will roll these teams over just because they have better players. You know, they they. Iran's strength is their their, their compactness, and and yeah, they've they've in, in Kieros has been in charge for two spells now, so he's had two games in this spell. Ninety seven in his first, yeah, when was it, two thousand eleven to two thousand nineteen, that eight years. In those ninety nine games, they've conceded two or more in a game. I think only twelve times. So scoring against them is really hard. Now, obviously, a lot of those games are against Asian opposition, and some of them will be against lesser Asian opposition where. You know, Iran are winning quite easily, but still, to that's a really, really good defensive record. Their problem is that they've never won under Kieros, having gone behind. So they've never come from behind to win. So if you do get the first goal, then you're in a very strong position because they're not a team who are very good at applying pressure. But what they are very good at is sitting deep, being compact, and hitting you on the break. And in some senses, a game plan matters more than than the individuals. Um, Wales, we've seen a very good. Uh, getting the best of out of what they've got. The US, I think, uh, as I've said, I think they're not quite as strong as US teams have been in the past. But um, yeah, they're they're they're, they're still clearly a, a good, tough, physical side who who will will cause issues. Yeah, there's no US players in that in that eleven, wasn't there? Uh, no, none at all. <clears throat> um, if we included MLS, the closest would have been Jesus Ferreira of FC Dallas, who. 21-year-old who scored 18 goals and provided 6-6 last season. He's pretty similar to Roberto Firmino in terms of style of play. He would have been the closest to sort of breaking that Kane to Remy front pairing. Um, so, I mean, he's part of that US side that is very inexperienced, but then that could work in their favour. They're very young, very exciting. They've got um, Pulisic is obviously there, Weston McKenney, Ferreira, Josh Sargent, Gio Reyna. So they do have a lot of young talent in there that could pose problems to England. For the Wales, obviously, I think it was just Ben Davis that, that ended up making that, that 11, featuring heavily on this World Cup show, Ben Davis, not what you would have expected at all. Gareth Bale, Jonathan, probably his, his last World Cup. Obviously, it's great that, that Wales have qualified and Bale is always the talisman. But he hasn't exactly been in sparkling form in, in the MLS. But then it doesn't seem to matter with him when it's coming into an international tournament because he just carries the weight of the country on his shoulders. Yeah, I mean, he, he's one of those players who clearly is inspired by playing for his country, which I think is an increasingly rare thing. But he, he's also just seems to be a player for the occasion. I mean, you saw that in the uh, in that final in MLS uh, last week or the week before. Uh, you know, he's somebody who has that capacity to to do brilliant things when they're needed. And even if... Even if his mobility is not what it was, even that explosive pace is not what it was, just his dead balls are, are great. I mean, he scored seven uh, free kicks, static free kicks, I think, for for Wales. 
Um, and that doesn't include the the one that led to the own goal in the playoff against Ukraine. He scored against England from a free kick um, in the Euros in 2016. So, yeah, even if it's just for the chance that they get a free kick within 30 yards of goal, he's a really, really dangerous player. Um, and, yeah, in terms of the narrative, in terms of his story, the fact that his career is... Uh, I mean, not quite ending at the World Cup, but but the, the, there is this finale and this potential for something you know, genuinely glorious on the world stage. That's that's an opportunity a lot of players from from smaller countries don't get, and it's it's great that he has got it. And, and you know, he deserves it because of the the effort he's put in for his country and the way he's sort of been the the, the figure they've coalesced around with this this sort of great wave they've had from the qualifiers for 2016 onwards. Yeah, and things in football stay with you that have annoyed you, but they, they still annoy you now. Whenever I think of Gareth Bale, I think of that free kick against England. And I think of Joe Hart in the tunnel shouting like an idiot. And then and then 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, you're getting beat from a free kick that you shouldn't. And I think, I don't know why that's annoyed me so much, but it stayed with me that he was shouting in the, in the tunnel, completely needless. I thought he made himself look pretty stupid. And then you let in a basic free kick that you should be saved. That for some reason, that's one of my football memories that has absolutely stayed with me. And I've, I never forgave Joe Hart for that. And that free kick from Bale has always stayed in my head. Tarimi was in the eleven, Jonathan. I guess with these teams, like we, we know they're set up compactly. We, we, we would expect that. But I guess they don't always have a Champions League quality forward at the other end. And that is something that England need to be wary of. Well, they've got Sardar Asmoon as well. I mean, I know he's got calf injury, so probably isn't going to play. And I doubt they play both together. Or if they did, they'd, they'd stick one out on the wing. So, But you're right. They, they, they're they not just a team who will sit in and defend. They do have a potency on the back. And the fullbacks get forward a lot as well. So they, they it, it's not that they sit nine outfields behind the ball and just whack it long and hope Tarimi can get something. They do actually break in numbers and at pace. So if you look at the two friendlies on the Kieros, uh, where they, they, well, they, they drew with Senegal and beat Uruguay, both of those goals in those games, it was, it was one nil against Uruguay, one one against Senegal. The two goals they scored, both of them came from counterattacks in which both fullbacks were involved. So there's a there's a very sort of clear game plan there. They're, they're, they're very good, I think, at absorbing pressure and at, at breaking. And, and yeah, as you say, Tarimi gives them a cutting edge that a, a lot of sides of that stature. Uh, maybe haven't had in the past. Yeah, Ben, I was watching a chat between the Sky Sports pundits. I think it, I think it was on Sunday, and they were, they were picking basically their England eleven, but they had one eye as well on how they thought Southgate would set up. And Gary Neville was the only one who went with three at the back. He was kind of saying that you should you should pick a system, and then you because of the time frame of this tournament, you play with that system throughout the tournament. There isn't going to be there isn't going to be time to chop and change, change personnel, change change system. So actually playing against a team like Iran. There's every chance that England won't come out and, and be expansive. I mean, it's Southgate anyway, so England aren't massively expansive. They, they can be quite pragmatic. But actually, there is still a case for playing that, that three at the back against Iran. The centre-backs that Southgate has selected, they don't. none of them are in form, um, say, say for uh, Ben White, but he's been playing right back for Arsenal. So would you trust, say, Maguire in a four-man back line? Probably not. Would you trust Eric Dyer in a four-man back line? Probably not. You would would you trust both of them in a three-man back line? You perhaps would because you have that extra cover at the right centre back. Who, you know, then who do you pick there? Is it Ben White or was it going to be Carl Walker? Who hasn't played since the Manchester derby. Um, that defence is going to be a bit of a conundrum for Southgate. He did chop and change during the Euros because he started off in a four-man back line uh, in the group stages, then switched it to a three-man in the knockout stages, but. 
with with that four man defence, he did have you know players on in good form. Um, that's not the case this time around. So it's a issue of whether he sticks with the three man defence against Iran. That could be perceived as being quite defensive against a team that many will probably think England should be beating, even though that's easier said than done. Um, I would probably go with the three-man defence anyway, just because you get either Ben White or Carl Walker as that cover on the right centre-back role. Um, Maguire looks far more comfortable on a three-man back line on the left. And then you have that extra cover from the central centre-back, be it Dyer or John Stones. But again, um, I'm not England manager. Uh, I leave that to Southgate and he can take all the criticism. Yeah, I mean, Ben's right, Jonathan. In the back four, there's only one centre-back that I trust there. And that's John Stones, who I actually think was England's best player in, in the Euros. I thought he was phenomenal for England in, in that tournament. But it, that back line, it, it is a problem. We spoke about it last week in the squad. Would you still play three at the back against Iran and then just go with that through the tournament? Well, the, the, the policy Southgate had the Euros, which I think made complete sense then, was a back four when he expected them to dominate possession, a back three when he thought possession was going to be more contested. Uh, I think the danger of playing a back three in these three group games is all three of, of the opponents are teams who will sit deep and try and draw England on. Um, and yes, there is a danger if you if you play with a with a four that you can get caught uh, on the counter. And um, that's definitely how you, the US like to play. They, you know, they like to try and hold possession quite deep, drag you forward, and hit you with with, with direct passes. Um, but if you, if you play the three centre backs. Uh, if none of them are stepping into midfield, and I think Ben White can absolutely do that. We've seen him getting forward from fullback for Arsenal. Um, I think John Stones is capable of doing that. I think Maguire, when he's playing well, is certainly capable of doing that. But if, if, if because of their lack of form, they're uneasy about doing that, you end up with a block of three defenders who are giving you very little in terms of, of mobility. They're not offering extra options in midfield. And they're not even giving you that much defensive cover because they're, they're playing against one. So three v one is 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 not you know you're just wasting a player. So I, I get the argument that the time frame of this tournament means that maybe you have to simplify things. I also think England have been together under the same manager playing a similar system or systems for long enough that they can risk playing a four in the three group games that allows them to get an extra more creative midfielder in. And I then think because the group stage takes you know nearly two weeks, there's time then to work on that, but also to work on the three for when they play against bigger teams later on. Um, so uh, it could be a three, and I don't think it's necessarily wrong, but personally, I think I would still rather he went with a four. Because kind kind of what what you've said there, just playing devil's advocate a little bit. If the main danger to England is the break. Surely, if you're playing a back four, you're you're then exposing your, your weaker players a little bit. I understand what you're saying about not needing three at the back against teams that are going to going to sit deep. But if England then did play a four and fullbacks are, are, are pushed on, you then that feel like that lack of pace in the back line. That's something that that could get exposed on the break. But that, and not the lack, with the back three. The lack of pace is an issue. That's definitely true. But I think structurally, the the way you look at it is. You can if you play and okay, one of the three presumably would be Walker. He does have pace. If he's fit, which yeah remains, he, he probably won't come into it until the end of the groups. Into, into yeah, so 
there's there's nobody apart from him who has real pace. If you're playing three slow players, well, three slow players and two slow players doesn't actually make much difference. Right. You're better off having to play high up the pitch to try and stop the counter before it starts. Uh, and one of the things where I think England, do I want to call it a weakness? It's definitely a feature of their play that they don't press. You, you look at the Euros and uh, I've got the figure here. I think they were the fifth best you know, in, in total. So even though they played more games than everybody apart from Italy, they were only fifth best for turnovers high up the pitch uh, with 43. And of those, only two ended in shots. You compare that to Italy, who had 56 and 13 ended in shots. So they don't press at all. And, and that means that they are vulnerable to getting counted against because they're not counting the counter at, at the first, you know, the, the, the first opportunity. And that's, of course, the reason why Alexander Arnold doesn't really work in an England context because his high position gets exposed because other people aren't pressing for him. So the the, the tendency is to to sit back, uh, to go back into that block. Uh, but even then, I think, especially if you've got Phillips and Rice, you can afford one more slightly more creative midfielder and that helps block that first pass of the break. But do you think it will be Phillips and Rice? Because Bellingham's got to play, surely. Well, if it's a 4-3-3, I, I don't see why you can't play all three of them. I mean, maybe you, you bring Mason Mount a bit deeper. I, I, I think certainly later in the tournament, uh, it is likely, if, 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 if Phillips is fully fit, I think it, it probably will be uh, Phillips and Rice because the way Southgate sees international football is very much in the way of Portugal in 2016 and France in 2018, which is you, you bung it up through the middle and, and hope to nick something through your great centre-forward or or through um, three set plays. And you know, even in even in World Cup qualifying, England's second top score was Harry Maguire with four, uh, all of them from set plays, uh, which is another reason to get Maguire in the, in the side because he does have an enormous slab of a head, which is very good at meeting corners. I mean, I kind of feel there's no point discussing Maguire because whether it's a back three or whether it's a back four, he will be in Southgate's England team. So they can't kind of gloss over that a little bit because he, Harry Maguire he's going to play whatever we We could sit back here and go and we'll go around the houses for an hour, but Harry Maguire will still be in Gareth Southgate's team. Ben, what about Raheem Sterling? I mean, I feel like we've gone back a year or two ago now where we're talking, should Raheem Sterling be in the England team? Obviously, that was the heavy dialogue before the Euros started. And he had an excellent Euros, not quite settled at Chelsea, not, not, not hit the ground running there really. But for England... Actually, I'm saying that his England form hasn't been brilliant for the last year or so, England, but in the last tournament, he was so good, you almost feel that he's going to start the tournament. Yeah, and I mean, it kind of depends on what system Southgate goes for. If he goes for a sort of three, three, four, one, two, you'll probably have him up there alongside Harry Kane. Um, he's playing up front for Chelsea, admittedly not particularly well. Um, even if you play a four, three, three or a four, two, three, one, you'd likely have him on the on the right or on the left, either either side, he would probably start. Um, I would start him just because he's someone that Southgate knows. He's someone Southgate's trust. Southgate trusts. Um, he's played alongside Kane plenty of times for England, and he does well for them. Um, I know it's a case of picking players in form, but the, the, the informing England player at the moment is James Madison, and he is very inexperienced on the international stage. I would go for Sterling at the moment. Whether he deserves it in current form is is a definite no. But again, international football is completely different from club football. He's been at uh, two major tournaments under Southgate and done well in both of them. So, I mean, 
you you have to start him really alongside Kane up front. Yeah, again, going back to the Sky Sport chat, Jonathan, every single one of them had Phil Foden in the team. I actually don't think there's any way in, in which Phil Foden starts that tournament. In, in the team I've got in my head, Mount's going to be playing as, as an eight slash a, a ten, and then it's going to be Saka and then Sterling playing next to Kane, kind of as Kane drops deep. You've then got the pace of, of Saka and Sterling. Foden scored a lovely goal at the, at the weekend against Brentford, was on good form for Manchester City, and then has found himself out of the team mainly over the last month. But would he 100% be in your team, Phil Foden? Because like I said, Gary Neville, Carragher, Karen Carney, Jamie Redknapp, they all had Phil Foden in the eleven. Well, the, the evidence of the two Nations League games in September is that he he, he sees the, the two alongside. I think with Kane, you have to have a runner who goes beyond him and a, a schemer. And so I then think it becomes a choice of Foden or Mount. Uh, the, those games in in September, the the indication was it would be Foden. Um, I probably personally would, would go for Mount at the moment, which is no reflection particularly on Foden, who, who is clearly a you know, magnificent footballer. But I, I I think the system of Manchester City play is so idiosyncratic that it's then very difficult to adjust. A bit a bit like Alexander Arnold, it's difficult to adjust to international level. And then who's the runner alongside Kane? If Sterling's a man in possession, I, I, you know, I would not start him at the Euros and, and very quickly it became apparent that Sterling was was playing really well. You know, it, 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 you, know, you could, in those early stages, if it, if it is a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1, you, you could play both Sterling and Saka. Um, maybe that's the way he, he goes. I mean, particularly against Iran, given how dangerous Iran's fullbacks can be, that's an easy way to try and pin them back if you've got two wingers there. Um, but I, I think... On the issue of form, uh, Sterling's form for Chelsea is such that you wouldn't pick him. But that's something I think you probably have to assess just on training in the next three or four days. Um, And that's something that Southgate's privy to that we're not, that he'll be able to see pretty quickly if that link up between Kane and Sterling, which which has been really good for him. I mean, Sterling's been England's second top scorer after Kane, and not in the qualifiers, but before that. Um, if, if, if that's there and gelling again, then then absolutely play Sterling. If it's not, if his confidence is is such that he's you know he, he's not attaining that level, then, then then Saka comes in, or you play both of them. I guess the question then is who's the midfield alongside Rice? If you if you're playing Mount or Foden as the as, a, as the creator, I don't think you play both. Um, I suspect you would go Bellingham. I think at the moment, certainly for the Iran game, I would go Bellingham. But later in the tournament, maybe maybe that becomes Phillips. Just playing devil's advocate again. I'm not sure why I'm doing that this morning. But you, you said about Mount being in there. If England don't press, then surely that's Mount's best facet of his game, kind of kind of redundant. And then you're better off having a Saka or a Foden in there, a better ball carrier, if you will. Well, I, I think you, you, your coaches who've worked with Mount talk about his tactical intelligence, and clearly that's hugely important in pressing. But it, tactical intelligence doesn't just mean pressing. He, I no. think he's just very good at shutting down spaces. And you can shut down spaces without it being pressing. Um, you know, I, I, I think England are very, very fortunate to have both Mount and Foden, and I would love them to find a way to, to get them both together and get them both both playing well in, in the same side. And, and that then I think would be an incredibly flexible, intelligent team. But whenever he's done that, um, so you think of the Hungary game at, at Wembley, uh, not the most recent one, the one before that, it, it didn't work at all. Um, and it, it is something that probably requires work and they probably don't have time to do that work. So rather than, yeah, I think one of the big dangers of international football is you try, try to squeeze in 
too many good players at the at the expense of the system. Uh, and I yeah, think I agree with that. It, it's better just to celebrate the fact we have these two players and that you can pick one or the other. And if one gets injured or one gets suspended or one's out of form, you play the other one. And, and, and rather than yeah, manipulating the, the the system to try and squeeze them all in and, and creating imbalances all over the place. Talking of the attacking options as well, Ben, no one ever put Jack Grealish in their England eleven again because I think we probably know that he won't play. But he's an excellent option off, off the bench of the games, not going well against any of those teams, especially in the group stage. Having that option of bringing Jack Grealish on after an hour. And, you know, subs will be important in this tournament as well due to the nature of, of when it is and the fact you can use so many. Having Jack Grealish as an attacking option as, as well, that's a tremendous option. He's obviously been hampered by becoming more of a system player under Guardiola. At Villa, he had that freedom to, you know, create that magic from anywhere in the final third. And he has that similar freedom with Southgate. Um, the advantage is that if uh, Grealish isn't working, Madison's there as well. So there's two sort of free free options you could say include well include Foden. So you got three there really that Southgate yeah. can call upon. Um, which you know, whereas England are looking pretty lightweight in defence, they do have the attacking players to really hurt opponents if needs must, especially if. The shackles are released from Foden, Madison and Grealish. Yeah, like starters and finishers is becoming a, a more important thing in, in football now, Jonathan. Just because you're on the bench doesn't mean you're not a massive part of how the game's going to go. I can't think of another country that's got players like that that to bring on, especially in the, that variety and that volume attacking-wise. And that, that could be really important for England. And that's probably one of the things that puts England up there as one of the favourites, I would say. Yeah, I mean, Brazil and Germany might have something to say about that. But but yes, it's... it's a, I don't think they've got the, the players they can just bring on. three. If you had Foden, Madison and Grealish on the bench, I, don't, I can't think of anything that would... Any other country that have got three options of, of that quality to bring on. They might have one or two, not three. Richarlison, Rafinha, um, Martinelli. That's, that's not a bad three for Brazil to bring on. Is uh, it one of them... One, doesn't Richard, won't Richarlison start? No, he might do. Yeah. Uh, it, it's possible he will. Um, but yeah, anyway, it's, it's it, whether it's it's unique or whether it's one of the best three or four. The point is, it's really really good. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think I think the point you make about starters and finishes is is a key one. I think it's where the sort of football culture lags behind the reality that that yeah. we do somehow think being left out of the starting eleven is somehow demeaning or it means you're not quite part of it. But actually, the thought of England. I imagine the Iran game, and you can imagine all the frustration that, that England haven't scored in the first first half, first hour of the game, but they've been battering away at Iran, and they've had two or three half chances, but they've had the ball in Iran's half, and they've made them chase, and they've made them run, they've put balls in the box, they've made them work, and then you bring on Grealish to run at them, and there's a bit of fatigue there, and suddenly you're getting free kicks all over the place, and suddenly you're getting a penalty. That's a really strong asset to have, and there's no, you know, that's a good way to play the game. It's a logical way to play the game. It doesn't mean Grealish has to start. But it, it, it's, it's a great weapon you have uh, that, that you spend the first hour wearing the team out and then the last half hour finishing them off with this, this you know, whether it's one of them or two of them or three of them, this this fleet of, of um, quick, skillful subs. So, mm. yeah, I, I think the Grealish and Madison role as a danger sub shouldn't be thought of as being, oh, they're bit parts. That, that's a really key part of the game. Yeah, people kick off. I mean, social media, again, is never a great gauge. People will kick off when they say the 11 that certain players aren't playing. There's actual evidence that it's so important to have these subs to come on and turn the game. In the last tournament, England-Germany was nil-nil. Suddenly, Jack Grealish comes on. 
he's involved in, in both goals and, and England get themselves into the quarterfinals with two late goals with Jack Grealish involved like that. Making having those players available on the bench to finish a game is as important as the eleven that you pick. And like you said, I don't think football culture has caught up with that. Well, and, and with England specifically, it's England are really bad at holding leads. Uh, so, I think since since the World Cup in twenty years ago in two thousand and two, England have only won fifty percent of the games at the World Cup and the European Championship in which they've gone ahead. Whereas you compare that to a Portugal or France, and it's over eighty percent. And so. It, I mean, it's obviously a, a ludicrous thing to say, but you almost don't want England to score early. The, the, the Germany game at the Euros was the perfect England under Southgate performance where they they battle hard, they get a get a foothold in the game, they, they start to control the midfield, and then they bring on the danger men and they don't score too early so that they they, they get the two late goals that haven't have that panic of, oh, God, we're ahead in a knockout game. Oh, no, we're going to concede. Ah, Get deeper, get deeper. Oh, we're too deep. We've conceded. <laughs> very, very good way of explaining life. Which, which, which happened against Denmark, even though it, it happened early enough, England had a time to get, get back on the front foot. And it happened against Italy. And it happened against Croatia at the last World Cup. And it happened yeah. to an extent against... Even, I mean, the Columbia game is, is the one where England totally controlled on that game and suddenly went defensive the last five minutes and oh, just completely conceded the initiative and concede. The, there's, England are bad at... Uh, uh, sort of retreating into these siege situations when just sort of keeping slightly on the front foot. No, you don't have to take a huge risk, but if you've got the game and the other the opposition half, it's much harder to score than if they're all around your box, obviously. Right, and we'll, we'll finish up on England soon, but Ben, you're not allowed to say Harry Kane because I think that is the, the obvious answer, but who is England's most important player, that one player you, you want to see on the team sheet? Not allowed Harry Kane, though. I would probably say Declan Rice. Yeah, fair. Um, you need someone to anchor the midfield. Um, you could say that England lost the initiative against Italy when he came off uh, the Euros final. Um, mm. He's been better than I thought he actually would be. You know, I think oh, he's reached his limit. He then takes it to a next, another level. And he just seems so key to the way that England play, um, be it defending or attacking. He'll get the ball, he'll drive it forward, he'll set England on the front foot. Or if, you know, they're under pressure, he'll be there to anchor that midfield and shield the defence. So I think he's going to be England's most important player. Jonathan, same question to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I could give the same answer, but for the sake of making this slightly more interesting, I won't. And I'll say Kieran Trippier. Whether he's playing at right back or right wing back, uh, he's, you know, he's had an excellent season. I think he, in some ways, actually offers the best balance of, of all the options at right back uh, between defensive capability and, and the ability to get forward. Delivers a great cross, delivers a great free kick and, and corner. And that, I think, free kicks and corners were an area where England weren't as strong at the Euros as they had been at the World Cup in 2018. And I think if they are to progress you know, a long way, then then set plays will be important to them. And, and, and he is a, is a vital weapon with the, with the delivery. You've given some lovely reasons there. And also, he's on form, which is, which yeah. is a big thing. Yeah. He's one of the form players in the Premier League. I'll, I'll offer a bit of variety in there as well. I'm actually you can't say to Tyrone Mings. Mings isn't oh, even in the squad. Calm if, down. If only should be in the squad, Jonathan. Absolute disgrace that he's... Can't have Ollie Watkins. You no. can't have Danny Ings. Can't have any, any Villa players. Barely a Villa player at the World Cup, as we discussed before we came on. I was going to say Pickford, just because I think at international level, I think he's far superior to the other two goalkeepers, and they both look nervy when they pulled on an England shirt recently. But I'm going to go back to what I said at the start of the show with John Stones. I think he's far and away England's best centre-back. I don't think any of the other centre-backs can touch him if anything happens to him. 
I think I think England are in a, in a bit of trouble. I think he's been very consistent for England and Southgate over the last few years. Next question. I'll come to you first this time, Jonathan. How far are England going to go? Well, I think they should get... I know, if they don't get out of the group, it'll be a huge disappointment. The, the group is not easy, but still, they should get out of the group. Then this, the last 16 uh, could be could be Senegal, could be Ecuador, could be Qatar, could be the Netherlands. I, I assume the Netherlands will win that group, particularly with all the injury issues around Sadio Mane. Um, so... <sighs> Senegal, a decent side. I mean, they, 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 they've been together for four years. Um, I think they've gradually improved through that time. But they're you know, really unlucky at the last World Cup to go out in the group on fair play to Japan. Again, get the final of the Cup of Nations, then win the Cup of Nations. They've been gradually improving. There's a lot of players there who are who are at their peak. Koulibaly, Idrissa Gay, Yamane, um, Ishmael Assar's... You know, maybe hasn't had a great season so far, but we know he's a he's a very dangerous, good player. Uh, England have never lost to an African side ever, but that that will be a, a, a test. However, if Mane is not fully fit, you'd expect them to get through that, and then they probably run into France, and that's that's huge. I, 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 for France, having said that, France have the potential to implode at this tournament. They've got great players, what? but I, I the yeah we've we've seen four of the last five World Cups of champions gone out. In the first in the group stage, we know that the uh, the French tendency to implosion. Uh, I don't think Deschamps is a is a modern coach, which may or may not count against them. Uh, so it may not be France, and England may beat France, but that's a huge test. And then, yeah, if, if England do get through that, then semi final final uh, are obviously difficult. What what I, what I think what people shouldn't do is say this is the target. They have to get to the quarter final. It's been a failure. If England end up playing the Netherlands in the last sixteen. And it's a brilliant game that finishes 2-2 and they lose on penalties. Well, that's not a failure. They, they've been involved in a brilliant game against a very good opponent. Um, equally, you would say even in 2018, they got the semi-final by not really having a particularly testing route and not really having to play particularly well. Yes, 2018 was better than, say, 2000 and... Or better even than 98 when they went out in the last 16. But they probably played better football in, in 98. So I, I think people getting hung up on where they get to is, I think that's less important than how well they play in doing so. If you play a good team and get beat in a narrow game, well, that happens. Don't don't get beat by bad teams and don't play badly. Yeah, don't play badly. That's a, a pretty good lesson in football. Ben, where, where are you going with for England? Um, as John said, you expect them to get through the group stages, but again, as, he's, as he sort of noted, it could be the Senegal Netherlands and... You would probably expect them to beat Senegal. Um, Netherlands is a completely different proposition altogether. Um, obviously, that's, that's no disrespect to Senegal. If they don't make out the group stage, obviously, it's a huge failure. Um, I would say quarterfinals would be, you know, given everything that happened in the Nations League, uh, the nature of the tournament, you'd probably say quarterfinals would be considered maybe a success. But obviously, that's, you know, everyone's opinion, etc. Um, people would say that if they don't win it, it's a failure. So I'd say quarterfinals. Okay. Now, I don't know whether either of you will remember this, but when we were doing the Euros, I actually predicted that England would lose in the final on penalties. So this is this is a big moment, me making a call here. No one cares about that excellent prediction. Not one of your faces moved when, when, I, said, when I said, thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Jonathan. I think semis. 
I think they'll get to the same. I think England, if they came up against France in the quarters, could, could beat them. I think England will get knocked out in the semi-finals this time round. Not on penalties, though, this time, just in, just in general play. I think they'll go out in the semi-finals. And while we're predicting, we're going to move away from England and do our World Cup predictions in general. And Jonathan, I'll come to you first again. Who is your pick for the World Cup? If you, life on the line, have to pick a team to win this World Cup, who would Hang you on, life on the line? Hang on, when, when I do I say this? I don't know why I say that. Yeah, this contract's changed. I, I, think, I think this tournament is really difficult. There's no team, obviously, in form. Um, a lot of the European teams had... I mean, the nature of the Nations League is it's really difficult... Um, so England haven't won in six. Germany have won one in six. Uh, Spain, I think, have had, got the, the 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 best form, but they, even they only won three in six. So of the, of the big European teams, none are looking particularly convincing. I think Spain probably, even though I didn't pick a single Spanish player in my World Cup eleven, I think the there's a there's a, a style and a, a philosophy there that gives them an edge that other European teams don't have. So I think Spain will be the probably the best of the European teams, possibly Germany, although I worry about the lack of a centre-forward and I worry about just how hard their line is. You sort of feel they they, they could get caught with that. Um, but maybe after four World Cups dominated by Europe, European winners, 13 of the last 16 semi-finals have been European, maybe maybe there's the random factors around this tournament do give um, the South American sides a chance again. Uh Brazil have lost one of the last 29, something like that, um, have been playing really well. Argentina, unbeaten in 35, won the Copa America last year, hammered Italy in the finalissima in, in June. You worry that neither have played a huge amount of European opposition. Brazil have played uh, only the Czech Republic since losing to Belgium in the last World Cup. Uh, Argentina, I think, have played three European teams in that 35-game run, one of whom was Estonia, which, with all due respect to them, Estonia aren't at the World Cup and you wouldn't, you know, you expect a World Cup challenger to to beat them, so I, I don't know. You sort of you think the messy factor, the, the the narrative drive behind them, the fact they do have a balanced side, maybe maybe that's enough. I think the first round draw is pretty kind to Argentina. That I'm sure they'll beat Saudi Arabia. I don't think this Mexico is as good as some previous Mexicos. Poland are fine, but they're not a great side. Yeah, I, there's a very long way of saying Argentina. Yeah, I mean, I asked you to pick a winner. You've previewed every team that's in the tournament there, so thank you very much, John. Well, and Estonia, who aren't, so... Like, yeah. <laughs> little bonus. A nice mention for Mexico as well. I always enjoy seeing their goalkeeper at the World Cup. I assume he's going to be... I've forgotten, is it a, a coach? A coach, yeah. Always enjoy seeing him at the World Cup in goal with with, with his hair. He's, he must have been at the last 15 World Cups. <laughs> he must have been at every World Cup I've ever watched. There's been no other goalkeeper that's ever played for Mexico. I'm going to go for Argentina as well. I think the, the Messi factor, I think... Fact that they won the Copa America, the 35 and being, I think Argentina to me seemed the logical pick to predict. Ben, who are you going for? Uh, I'm not going to make it clean sweep. I'm going to say Brazil. Um, you know, they've they're, obviously there are maybe minor concerns about the defence, especially at uh, fullback. But I mean, look at the options in attack. They can blitz any team on their day with the likes of Neymar, Richarlison, Rafinha, Gabriel Jesus, Vinicius Jr. has been in great form for Real Madrid. Um, and I think it's Brazil who will win it this year. Okay. And I'll stay with you. Who's your dark horse? I would say Uruguay. Hmm. Um, they're, obviously, they've got, you know, a fairly experienced defense, uh, back line. We could say that. Mislera's 36, Godin's 36, Caceres is 35, Curtis is 32. I think a lot is riding on Ronald Arahal to get fit. He hasn't played since... Uh, 
Barcelona is 3 0 win over Elche in September. But then midfield, you got Benton Corn Valverde, two in form central midfielders for uh, Tottenham and Real Madrid, respectively. And then, of course, Suarez, Nunes, Cavani, and Gomez in attack. So I think they'll co- uh, cause some problems for a number of the big nations. I think they aren't to be completely written off. Whether they'll win it, it you know, I, I don't think they're as strong as Argentina or Brazil, but. Yeah, there's a lot of quality in that team. Well, I mean, Uruguay got quite a kind draw as well. Portugal, Ghana, South Korea. I don't think this is a particularly good South Korea team. Ghana are improving, but they were shocking at the Cup of Nations. I think Portugal, they, they've sort of got, in, to an extent, they've got a similar problem to England, the, the sense of stagnation with a, with a coach who's arguably been there slightly too long, but also the whole Ronaldo issue. I think I'm doing all, all three Uruguay group games, actually. So nice. uh, I hope they do play well. Um I mean, I don't know if you count as a dark horse anymore, but Denmark, I think the the way they play under Kasper Hillman is is really impressive. He's changed the style of Danish football. He's you know gone from that very blockish four four two then and the Morten Nelson, much more progressive. I think you saw the, even without Ericsson at the Euros, you saw how well that worked. And yes, they were possibly carried slightly by by all the emotion after Ericsson, but Ericsson's now back and, and playing brilliantly. They finished above France in the Nations League. Albeit not above Croatia, um, but I think the I, it, w- it wouldn't surprise me if they finish above France in this group. Um, so yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say I'll say Denmark is my dark horse. Am I allowed to have Holland as a dark horse? I don't know what the rules are with dark horses. Am I, am I allowed to have them? Because I just feel they've got no, they've got a nice blend. I don't, I don't think they will win it, but I do think they'll progress far. They've got they've got a nice blend, I think, Colin. I think they've got the best blend across every nation in the in the tournament of experienced, exciting players coming through. And they've also got a manager that kind of knows what he's doing in this type of football. So I think the Holland blend could be a big factor, but I don't know whether you're allowed to have them as a dark horse at all. So let us know in the comments if, if you are allowed to have Holland as a dark horse. Golden boot. Jonathan, you first. Who's going to be the top scorer in the World Cup? Well, it's like picking up what we just said. I'm going to say Memphis Depay because I think the Dutch have... The, 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 the group stage for the Dutch, you could imagine them scoring two or three in each of those games against Ecuador, Qatar and um, Senegal. Well, maybe not against Senegal. Senegal defensively pretty good. But certainly Qatar and Ecuador, you could you could imagine them winning two or three nil. Um, and I, I do... And then their second round should be against whoever comes second in England's group. So as we've said, none of those teams are easy. But equally... When you get to the last sixteen of the World Cup, if you play in Wales or the US or or Iran or, or England, um, but if it's Wales, US or Iran, that those are the sort of team you think oh, last sixteen, yeah, we we should be getting through that. Uh, he was joint top scorer in European qualifying. I think the way that Van Hal plays now, that that three five two with sort of um, you know a, a, a pacey sort of inside forward, if you like, off the forward, I think that really suits Depay. Um, so so yes, Memphis Depay. Uh, I know it's very basic, very chat around the water cooler pick, but I think Messi, um, Argentina have that kind group. They could, you know, put four or five past Saudi Arabia quite easily. Um, and I think Messi in his last tournament, um, the his teammates are going to be, you know, doing everything they can to sort of help him uh, end his international career with the World Cup winner's medal. Um, yeah, Takes think- penalties as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I think Messi, even if Argentina don't win it, I think Messi will get that uh, golden boot. I want to pick an Argentina player, but I don't want to pick Messi. 
feel like he'd be the talisman, but perhaps not the not the main goal scorer. They've got some frightening attacking players, Argentina. But then I can't say off the top of my head what their eleven will be. Jonathan might know better, better than me. Well, Let's have Martinez. Yeah, he was who I wanted to pick. That was who I wanted to pick, but I wasn't sure he'd 100% be a starter. Yeah, if he's fit, he will. And then, yeah, quite how... I mean, they probably will fit in Papu Gomez and uh, Di Maria exactly how they fit together. Because the problem is they've lost Lo Celso. That's the one doubt against Argentina, I think, but that Lo Celso-Messi link-up was was really good. Um, So um, Enzo Fernandez from Benfica may may come into that midfield. Uh, But... That yeah, losing themselves as a blow for them. Or they could play Di Maria deeper, um, or Papi Gomez deeper. I'll go for Latoro Martinez. I reckon you get decent odds on him on him as top scorer for the tournament. So I'll make an outrageous shout and go for that. Right then, we'll be doing these little shows throughout the World Cup. So if you subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on, you'll know exactly when our next World Cup preview show is coming up. I believe we're on next Wednesday. But subscribe with your post notifications on anyway, even though I've just said that. Hopefully you've enjoyed this preview of England and our predictions today. If you have, then drop the video a like and leave a comment as well with whether you're allowed the Netherlands as a dark horse for the World Cup. Thanks to Jonathan, thanks to Ben, and as ever, stay safe.